Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hi from Buffalo. It's getting on to St. Patrick's Day around here and with a lot of Irish folks living in town, we are set for both the old neighborhood First Ward Parade in the Valley as well as the big time St. Patrick's Day event downtown. A good time is guaranteed for all. I'm Peter Sabota. How do you improve the quality of life for foster children and their parents? In this episode, our guests, Dr. Elizabeth Greeno, Matthew Uretsky, and Dr. Patty Chamberlain discuss what they learned from their study of a parenting intervention for foster and kinship families. Specifically, they wanted to understand what could be done to strengthen the confidence and skills of these families who are on the front line of this part of the child welfare system. Here, they describe a foster and kinship parenting training intervention called Keeping Foster and Kinship Parents Trained and Supported, or KEEP, and their findings related to the program's impact on child externalizing behaviors, parent stress, and placement permanency. Dr. Elizabeth Greeno is an associate research professor at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. Dr. Greeno's research interests and area of expertise is centered on child welfare, older youth and transition age youth and child welfare, perinatal addiction, evidence-based practices, parenting programs, and the child welfare workforce. Matthew Uretsky is statistician and doctoral research fellow at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. He's been involved in social service program development, implementation and direct service, both domestically and internationally. He has served as the program manager for the Maryland KEEP, a training and support program for foster and kinship parents. Currently, he is involved with the Evidence to Success Initiative funded by the Anna E. Casey Foundation that focuses on the coding effect sizes and performing cost-benefit analysis for evidence-based programs at the Institute for Innovation and Implementation. Dr. Patty Chamberlain, PhD, is Science Director at the Oregon Social Learning Center and has interest in developing interventions for children and families. She has conducted several studies on the treatment for children, youth, and families in the child welfare, juvenile justice, and mental health systems. She founded Treatment Foster Care Oregon and the KEEP Intervention Model. Dr. Chamberlain is a senior fellow at the Society for Prevention Research and was inducted into the first cohort of Society for Prevention Research Fellows in 2013. Our guests were interviewed by our own Dr. Annette Smanchin-Jones, Assistant Professor here at the UB School of Social Work. The interview took place in January of 2016. We'd like to mention here that this episode contains some distortion that is due to technical problems we experienced while recording. Hello, my name is Annette Samanchin-Jones. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work, and I'm very excited to be here today with a team of folks that will be speaking about parenting intervention for foster and kinship families 
um, called KEEP and how that was implemented in Maryland. And so I have with me here three folks, Elizabeth Greeno, Matthew Uretsky, and Dr. Patty Chamberlain. So thank you all for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we start by explaining if you could just help um, us understand a little bit about the origins of the KEEP program and then how it came to be in Maryland. This is Patty. We have been working for a number of years at the Oregon Social Learning Center on working with kids that were having severe problems with delinquency and emotional and mental health problems and trying to find an alternative to incarceration, residential care, and group care for those kids. And so we came up with a model called multidimensional treatment foster care. It's now called Treatment Foster Care Oregon. And in that model, we did a number of studies and found that when we placed kids with, and these were kids that were having severe problems with delinquency, when we placed these kids with families and then followed them up, for a period of nine years, they had much better outcomes than kids that were randomized to group care settings. So through that project, we became impressed and energized by how important it was the relationship between kids and foster parents. And we began to wonder if there were things that we could do to strengthen the confidence and skills of regular state-supported foster parents so that they could be a better resource for kids, and by better resource I mean could we help prevent placement disruptions, which happens in almost 50% of cases of kids placed in foster care during their first year. So could we prevent placement disruptions? Could we decrease kids' emotional and behavioral kind of problems and trauma that they have gone through? And so could we sort of settle down the home and give the foster home good resources for dealing with the difficult kinds of problems that kids were having. So that's the motivation behind the KEEP program. Great, thanks. And perhaps, Elizabeth and Matthew, can you explain how the KEEP program came to Maryland? Yes, and this is Elizabeth speaking. So we were looking for something exactly as Patty just described that would work with our foster parent population in Maryland. So not our treatment foster population, but foster parents who were licensed through the state. And we wanted something that was going to help train them and give them parenting skills for kids who were displaying emotional and behavioral difficulties, as well as help with our retention. At the time that we were working with Oregon and getting KEEP to come to Maryland, we had a fair number of folks who were foster parents leave, and so we were, you know, looking for something with the intention of if you train folks and they're comfortable in their parenting skills, then they're going to maintain their foster parent status and take on more kids into their home. Great. Excellent. Did you make any adaptations at all for the KEEP program to be implemented in Maryland? This is Matthew. So this was a replication study we were looking to see how the model would work in a different environment over here in Baltimore and Maryland and across the state. What can you tell us about what did you find as you implemented KEEP? What did you find through your study and project as far as outcomes for children or caregivers for the foster parents themselves? As far as outcomes, we looked, and again, this is a replication, so we really studied, uh, did some of what Patty did in her earlier work and used some of the same measures. We looked at really three main outcomes, looking at the child behavior, looking at parenting stress, 
and looking at some, some permanency and retention outcomes for use and care and then retention for foster families. So one thing that we found, we used our Maryland KEEP group, so that was our treatment group, and we recruited a comparison group of foster and kinship families throughout the state of Maryland and then compared them on these, these outcomes. And then one of the big takeaways that we had was really the decrease in child behavior. We use two measures for that. One is the child behavior checklist, which listeners are probably familiar with that scale. It's a 113 item scale that looks at different areas of, of child behavior. And then, Patty, I didn't know if you wanted to discuss what the PDR is. Yeah, so it's part of the KEEP model, and we phone foster parents once a week, and we have about a five-minute telephone interview that we call Parent Daily Report. And we asked parents during the past 24 hours, did any of the following behavior problems occur? And it'll be simple things that are, did your child argue with you? Were they depressed? Just stuff like that. And the parents answer that it either happened or didn't happen during the past 24 hours. And then they say how stressful it was for them. So you know, it could be that a foster parent that has a lot of confidence and skills can have a child who argues with them. So they would answer yes, but it isn't particularly stressful for them. They can handle it. So with the KEEP model, we're trying to decrease the fostering kin parent stress and, and because if, if you have better skills in terms of how to deal with a problem, presumably you'll have less stress when it happens. And all kids have problems every day and all parents do. So we just want to make the parents feel more comfortable and confident in dealing with typical kind of kid problems. And so what we found from the PDR was that our Maryland Keep group started out at a score of an 8. So it's a 38-item uh, checklist, and they started out as an 8. And then our comparison group started out at a 6.4. And then post-intervention, so we surveyed the foster parents and kinship parents about roughly about five months after the start of the Keep program. The Keep group went to a score of 3, and the comparison group stayed at a score of 6. So the KEEP group declined significantly in the behaviors that the foster and kinship parents were seeing, and the comparison group didn't make any movement during the same time period. So we had that. That was a big main takeaway. And then we also looked at the child behavior checklist findings. And the child behavior checklist findings, you can convert the raw scores into severity levels of normal, borderline, and clinical. And what we found there was there was not any difference for the comparison group from the baseline measure to post-test. But for our KEEP group, they started out in the borderline levels on the total score and internalizing, and at post-test went to normal scores for those two areas. And then their externalizing score was a clinical at baseline and then went to borderline at post-test. So we found just pretty tremendous impacts on child behavior from the training. One more thing to point out is the reason why the change in PDR is important has to do with some of Patty's earlier work which demonstrated a threshold of around six behaviors where uh, above which the likelihood of permanency or was reduced. So having the scores cross the threshold below six was meaningful in terms of what we might expect from the placements over time. Excellent. Great. Did you find anything significant or interesting related to parenting stress or retention, or are you still looking at those? So we found some interesting findings on the parenting stress. One thing to note is both uh, in the parenting stress, sorry, we measured with a parenting stress index, a short form, and it was actually the third edition of that measure. The KEEP group was a 134 at both pre-test and post-test, 
And the comparison group went from a 139 to 146 from pre to post. So they actually, and that was statistically significant, they actually increased. So we didn't find any difference on the KEEP group. They didn't go, they didn't score any different based on the treatment. However, both groups, just one thing to, to mention, were above the cutoff of 90. So the PSI suggests that any score above a 90 suggests some likely clinical impact of uh, stress. So both our groups were above that. But the comparison group did increase during that study time period. Okay. That's an interesting, that perhaps suggesting that foster parents in general experience increased stress, perhaps. Right. And we were, frankly, a little surprised by this finding and, and really looked at some other literature that kind of talks about why foster parent and kinship parents stress. And there's a host of things that impact stress. The foster kinship parents' work life, caregiving for their family, feeling part of a treatment team and, and making decisions for their foster or kinship child, and then general social support, social support from friends and family, but also social support from the foster care agency. I was just going to say the other thing is that most often parents, foster and kinship parents, foster parents more than kinship parents, will have other children placed in the home as well. So there's been also some research that shows basically that the more kids you have placed in the home, the more likely you're going to have parenting stress, which is logical. And that's a really great point because for our population, for so for both the KEEP and the comparison group, they had an average of something like 2.2 kids in the home. And I would also want to add that I think the fact that the keep group parents didn't have an increase while the comparison group did could be seen as a win. Even maintenance sometimes is a win when you think about, you know, the increasing stress over time that goes along with parenting. So seeing that, that they weren't exhibiting the same increases in stress over time, I think is something that's worth celebrating. Right. Yep. You mentioned that there were kinship and foster parents. That was true for both groups as well in your project? Yes. Actually, for both groups, the KEEP group actually had 35% of those who participated were kinship providers, and then 31% of our comparison group were kinship providers. Okay, great. Through your project, were there certain behaviors that were higher priorities for the caregivers to address? So my role in the project started out as a facilitator in the, managing the program, the way we started with the parents was really starting where they're at and just deciding what's, it's not so much what behavior they had, but what behavior is causing them stress. And a lot of it was, you know, coming in from an outside perspective, it's easy to think like these are the things we should intervene on if we have a, if we have a list of the behaviors that are going on in the home. But sometimes it was really surprising. Some of the tougher things that you might expect, like soiling or things like that, were not the immediate priority. Some of it was like bedtime routines and morning routines, which, you know, just getting and people who've tried to prepare children for school can see how this could be a pretty significant problem when you're trying to get kids ready for school in the morning and it can get kind of out of hand. And that was probably one of the bigger requests was just figuring out how to manage the times when the schedule created a condensed period of time where waiting and, you know, kind of waiting out behaviors wasn't an option. Okay, great. Yeah, I can see as a parent myself that those can be stressful times, those transitional periods. And so were you saying then that you were identifying what, what the caregivers were most interested in and then that's what the intervention focused on? Sure. It's a 16-week long intervention. And, 
from a practice perspective, the biggest first hurdle is just getting everybody to trust that this will work. People are investing a lot of time in it. So for me, it didn't really matter what the behavior was. It's what the parents were ready to invest their time in. And if you could get an early win, then they were ready to try to address some of the tougher behaviors or behaviors they thought weren't going to move. So it's really the group process is extremely important in engaging parents. And there's a lot of parents that are going to wait it out and watch and see they're not going to try things right away because they're going to wait and see how other parents react. So it's really about engagement and really starting with what concerns the parents, not what might concern you as a worker in a different kind of environment. You're getting to my next question, which is just your overall lessons that you felt you learned about the implementation of KEEP through this project. What were some of the significant lessons that you learned? One of the things that surprised me right away that I didn't quite think about ahead of time, but I probably should have, is how important it was to model behavior all the way through. And that's one of the things that comes through in the training when we were being trained by um, the Oregon Social Learning Center, was that in all levels, you really have to model what you expect from the parents. So in the way that we react to the parents, in the way that we talk to the parents, but also in the way that we provide services. So for example, daycare. We provided daycare and food for parents who had children that um, didn't have another plan for the time we were there. And we and we had to take a lot of time and effort to make sure that our childcare providers were really modeling the same kind of behaviors with the kids that we would expect the parents to model. So really, all around making sure that we're being consistent in not only what we ask of the parents, but how we act with the parents and how we act with the children. I could talk a little bit about implementing keep in various settings. I mean, we have wonderful partnership in Baltimore, the University of Maryland. School of Social Work was very committed to the project and they did high quality research to evaluate it. Since that time, we've also implemented in the, in the city of New York with five private agencies. And there, we trained existing casework staff to run the KEEP intervention. And that is, was a much bigger implementation. We served over 2,000 kids a year in five private agencies using KEEP. And so there was a lot that we learned about scaling up the model and the importance of good communication that we had at the University of Maryland and, you know, just following through to provide the group leaders with weekly consultations and problem solving to help them run fun groups that foster parents really wanted to be in, but ones that were really meaningful in terms of the the changes that they made that they could make in their skill level and their confidence level throughout the 16 sessions. Right now we're working in the state of Tennessee in 10 counties, and Tennessee Child Welfare System is doing a fabulous job implementing KEEP. So I think as we've moved on and along, we're getting more and more confidence that KEEP can be scaled up by state systems and by private agencies. and the importance of really getting a solid team together like the team that we had in Baltimore to really see the project through from beginning to end. Anything that you want to add, Elizabeth? No, just that that I think one of the big takeaways we had was just how this really did impact our foster care population and that next up for us may be also involving some of our existing child welfare staff as uh, to become involved with the program. And one of the things we did, we trained a 
a pretty wide variety of folks in Maryland could provide the services, and some were foster kinship care providers, and some were child care workers. And one thing that I saw that was pretty meaningful to me was how engaged the workers were. And we had a variety from pretty early career, or people who've been there 20 plus years, and they really loved the experience of being part of something that was really about improving outcomes for families, problem solving. It was 100% about problem solving. They weren't involved with parents that were on their caseload. So there wasn't kind of that double-edged sword that comes a lot of times when you're working with parents where you have dual responsibility and it may not always be a positive interaction with the parents. It was, they really, really loved being part of the program. And it was just neat to see it. We even had workers who were volunteering to do Saturday groups. And this is 16 weeks of Saturdays. And they were volunteering to do it because they felt like they could get more parents there. And they were just really loved being part of uh, part of the prevention program and really help 100% helping parents problem solve. For me, that was one of my favorite experiences of seeing that. So it sounds like this has been, so you've trained casework staff in county agencies, private agencies, Speaking to a social work audience, what do you think social workers offer in this area to specifically meet some of the challenges that these families face through the KEEP model? This is Patty. I could comment a little bit about that. I mean, one of the things that happened in New York was that the social workers were told, the caseworkers in the child welfare system were told by their the system, you're going to implement this model. And so as you might imagine, some people didn't like that. They had sort of a negative reaction. It was like, I already have too much to do. I can't do something else. Even though in New York it was accompanied by a caseload reduction, other social workers responded exactly the opposite way by saying, this is what I went to social work school for. This really working front line. Because previously in New York, the role of the caseworker was to monitor the progress of the case, but to refer out for parenting services. Mm -hmm or parenting skills or parenting classes. And here we changed that, and they were actually providing those services. I think that the, the caseworkers who embraced it found it very satisfying, but it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to get up in front of a group and, you know, run a foster parent group. In Tennessee, taking that lesson learned, what we did in Tennessee is we had all of the caseworkers participate in a two-day foundational training about KEEP, so just more what is KEEP. And then we allowed people to self-select if they were interested in being a group leader. And then, of course, their supervisors had the final say on who was selected to be the group leader. So I think that there's something about acquainting people with the model and then seeing if they feel like it's a good fit for them and then having them collaborate with their system to see who the system wants to bring forward and have the actual group leaders. Great. So starting with the Maryland folks, I'm just wondering what the next steps might be. Are you continuing to use KEEP? Do you have next steps in line to follow up from this study that we've been talking about? Yes, we don't have KEEP going on right now in Maryland, but we are looking at next steps, perhaps looking at, at some of Patty's work that she just mentioned doing in Tennessee and New York, of actually working with our frontline child welfare staff and bringing KEEP to our local jurisdictions. And we're thinking that what would help with our local child welfare agencies with sustainability of KEEP in our system. Great. That's exciting. Are there any existing gaps that you see in the research that you think could contribute to improving these programs, model like KEEP, and that could be for anyone? 
I really enjoyed being part of this and what I learned from it. And one of the extensions in our research that we took was looking at change over time for children. So Patty mentioned the PDR, the Parent Data Report, and it's part of the practice we'd call weekly to check in with the parents and see how the behaviors are changing over time. And we integrated that into our research to see how behaviors change over time and if there were differences that we could see ahead of time using baseline characteristics to see who would change over time. And one of the things that we saw was that it was really the parents' use of positive reinforcement relative to discipline at baseline that was most related to who changed the most, which parents reported the largest reductions in child behavior over time. The parents with the least favorable profiles, so more discipline and least amount of positive reinforcement, they really saw the most impact from participating in the groups. And so what we saw was that everybody improved over time, but there were some parents that were more primed for change. But the child behaviors, it really didn't matter the profile of the child behaviors ahead of time. So it really kind of gave us a sense that this is really a parenting intervention. And it doesn't matter how tough the kids are or what level of behavior the children are exhibiting over time. This is really about improving parenting behaviors and improving their ability to manage the behavior over time. And one of the things that I got really interested in is most people did better, but there were some people who didn't. And really thinking about how can we get to the last 10%, how can we get to the last 20 percent of people that aren't showing uh, these improvements over time. How can we start to think about what types of supports it would take to get parents and children kind of over that threshold for the people that are resistant to change? Just to pick up on that, if I can, this is Patty. In Tennessee, one of the things, pieces of research that we're doing that's related is, as I mentioned before, in Tennessee, only some of the caseworkers are running the key groups. And so the Tennessee Child Welfare System asked the questions, how do we get the lessons or the material that KEEP offers into the daily interactions that caseworkers have with parents? Mm -hmm. If we're talking about having parents to focus more on positive child behavior like Matthew was referring to, that's great to do it in the group and they have a home practice assignment in the group. How can the caseworker carry that forward into the daily interactions that they're having with the parent or if it's limit setting, whatever topic it is? And so we have an intervention that we're testing in Tennessee called R3, which is the three R's, reinforce the parent's effort, reinforce the parent's relationship with the child, and reinforce the next small step that the parent can make to improve that atmosphere for the child in their home. So we're working on an experiment where we're looking at when we train the caseworkers, all caseworkers, to use those three R's in every single interaction they have with the parent, will we be able to see even further improvements in the kid development over time? Great. This is really exciting. I think you've already stated this in the beginning of our discussion, but when we look at things like child well-being in foster care, placement stability in foster care, so much of the literature points to this issue of challenging behaviors. And so I think this is really exciting that the, you know, the folks that are interacting most directly with the children on a day-to-day basis, the foster parents, and now expanding that to the caseworkers is really exciting. But I wanted to offer you just kind of this last point of what do you think are some of the implications, anything that you haven't touched on that you think people should know about this model and why it's important in child welfare? I think one thing that isn't captured in the research that is probably pretty important to think about is the trust gap sometimes that can happen between parents and the system overall and caseworkers. 
And one of the qualitative kind of experiences I had or lessons I learned from being part of the groups and talking to the parents was that these were sometimes the best and most positive interactions that the parents had had with child welfare workers or people associated with the system. So this is also priming people to be better at relating to each other. And I think just that belief that the system and the workers and the characters that are participating in the system are there for the betterment of the relationship and child outcomes and parenting outcomes is really important. And I don't think there's a way to overemphasize the individual impact that that has on how people relate to their workers and, and what that means for improving further outcomes over time. Any other last thoughts from Elizabeth or Patty on the impact on child welfare? I think we talked about our research results and, and certainly what Patty also has out in the literature. But the only other thing I want to add is the quality of life impact that the KEEP training had on those fostering kinship parents who went through it. We did not do a mixed method study, so I didn't do a qualitative portion, but we did all of our baseline and post-test measures on the phone. So we would call and we would talk to parents and they were very happy. You could tell the pride they had in going through the training and just how they would give examples of what they had learned in the trainings from Matthew into their daily life. And and as we've also you know, already referenced that there are other children in their home, 100% of the foster parents who went through KEEP said that they would continue to go on and be foster parents and continue to have kids in their home. And so this is really a program that has had a, a lot of impact on our system in Maryland. Excellent. Any other last thoughts that we didn't cover? I'll just say that, that foster parents and kinship parents are the frontline contact with kids every day. And I think that there's a lot that we can do and think about to improve the quality of care that kids get in working through foster parents. And in general, I think we, we haven't paid enough attention to that group of people. And I think Keith demonstrates that with some focus, you can really improve the quality of life, both of the foster parents and hopefully of the kids in those homes. I feel like Keith is one method uh, you know, that just demonstrates the great potential that we have to improve things for kids and families who are involved in the child welfare system, which is probably one of the most stressful things that can happen to a family. That, I think, is something to look forward to, is to pay more attention to this this group of people providing care. Yeah, it's an incredibly isolating experience to be a foster or kinship provider. Your peer groups may not understand why you're doing it. You may not be able to really talk about it with other people because of... Um, confidentiality and having a place where they can be around people that are really kind of trying to do the same thing as them just in itself is a really good resource and it was really powerful for the participants. Great. Well, I want to just thank all of you again for joining us and for sharing the learnings from your project. I really appreciate your time and really enjoyed learning more about the KEEP implementation in Maryland. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Elizabeth Greeno, Matthew Uretsky, and Dr. Patty Chamberlain discuss parenting interventions for foster and kinship families on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at 
www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.